Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Whoo, it is a nasty and rainy day out there. I uh, hope that you are uh, dry and healthy and safe. And uh, Lady B, I'm going to move up. Uh, we're, let's move up Dan Schaefer and give him a call since they had a big night in Wisconsin. I uh, was watching the results there and absolutely thrilled that uh, I'm going to go with Janet. I know that there's uh, some great commercials out there and how to pronounce her name and I've practiced it, but I'm you know me. I'll probably still get it wrong. But uh, Dan Schaefer, of course, our uh, our contact, our, our guy with the info, the details of what's going on on all things Wisconsin. He was doing a play-by-play, uh, live tweeting the results and uh, and as Joan mentioned at the open of her show, uh, how important that race is as well as how um, you know it's, it'll be interesting to see how much money the U-Lines put into that race and uh, and try to impact the future of Wisconsin. This is a 10-year uh, term for the Supreme Court justices, and there's a lot on the line. Of course, we're, we all talk about the uh, the legislation that would be they would revert back to basically pre-Civil War legislation and controlling women's bodies and autonomy, and the, as well as uh, their uh, disenfranchisement of voters, because it is the most gerrymandered, con- uh, sta- the most gerrymandered state in the country. So having uh, the ability to um, give Wisconsinites more than just a choice over their own bodies, but a choice when it comes to the direction of their state for a decade and then and, and by, thereby for decades to come. And uh, it's important to make sure that the, we let voters know um, that they, the primary has come and gone, and now it's time to get ready for the uh, general election. I believe it's on April 4th. Is that right, Dan Schaefer? April 4th is when the, uh, the general election will be for this race and others in Wisconsin? You got it, April 4th for our spring election here in Wisconsin. The stakes are high. The stakes are very high. So how are you feeling? Tell us a little bit. I know you do a lot of the numbers. Uh, what was uh, First of all, let's start with what was turnout like? Uh, turnout was pretty good. Turnout was up from, you know, it's, it, it, in these spring election cycles, a good turnout number can be something like over 20%. So that's a kind of where we're at. This was, this was up from other... Uh, spring election primaries, uh, but this one was certainly more competitive, uh, certainly higher stakes, uh, and there has been higher turnout. So that uh, was definitely one of the big encouraging signs uh, from last night. And I think uh, the turnout in Dane County in particular uh, was was pretty impressive. I think they had more than 35 percent turnout there uh, for this uh, for this primary and Dane County being, you know, the, the kind of Democratic turnout engine uh in the state of wisconsin you now really powered through a uh, democratic victory in the primary for janet protosawitz last night protosawitz i'm gonna pronou- i'm gonna practice this for the next uh number of whatever number of weeks it is five six weeks leading the pr- <laughs> we, can with, we can go with judge janet we can I go know. with protosawitz but i think yeah protosawitz Protosawitz. And I, uh, I saw the, uh, the promo, her, one of her campaign ads where everyone's practicing how to say it. Do we have, do you have a handle on, from those numbers across the state of voter turnout by age? Do we know if there, if this was impacted by whether it was college students, young voters? Uh, obviously, you know, we tend to assume that older voters are going to vote more conservatively, but do we have, do we have any numbers in that regards? 
don't have a ton of the demographic data, but I do have a lot of the the regional data that I've been uh, that I've been looking through today. Uh, some pretty interesting stuff there. If you look at the kind of the county by county level uh, types of results, you know, I think in years past in Wisconsin, um, the uh, you know Democrats had done well in the western part of the state, southwestern part of the state, um, and in the Fox Valley in the northeastern part of the state. You know, that was those were some of those kind of Obama Trump counties, right, that uh, that got so famous after the 2016 election, where you saw a number of places that had voted for uh, President Barack Obama drift over to vote for President Trump in 2016. Uh, what I think was was interesting with the results from last night is you saw a lot of those counties uh, vote for Protosewitz, not only, you know, as the, the top vote getter. Uh, in a lot of these counties, but she got more than 50 percent uh, in a lot of those counties, too. I think that's a really interesting, uh, interesting result from last night, because I think, you know, with, uh, you know, with uh, the way that things have been trending, that has been, you know, a district that uh, are, you know, flipped uh, in the con- congressional race last year. It's now represented by a Republican. But if Democrats are making some inroads uh, in those southwestern districts uh, in kind of the driftless region, uh, along the Mississippi River, there, um, you know, that is a really, really encouraging sign for for statewide results. And then another trend that has been, you know, just kind of picking up over the course of the past few years is that the Milwaukee suburbs have been trending to the left. Now, the Wow counties, uh, Washington, Ozaukee, and Waukesha counties, have been kind of the main Republican stronghold in the state of Wisconsin for decades. Uh, and Scott Walker, you know, those were the counties that really drove his victories uh, in the state of Wisconsin. Those counties are starting to move more Democratic. Hmm. Uh, and we're seeing that again in the uh, in the results last night. That was a big reason for, for Tony Evers' victory last fall. And I think that trend uh, is certainly continuing uh, with the results from the primary that we saw last night. So I think, you know, we, we think of you, you think of Wisconsin as being. Uh, you know, big population center uh, in Milwaukee, uh, somewhat smaller, but also larger city in Madison and a lot of rural counties. Well, Waukesha County is the third largest county in the state. Uh, last night, you know, there were um, uh, close to 100,000 votes out of Waukesha County. Wow. So any little bit of a change in the margin there uh, is going to have some pretty big ramifications for statewide races. And I, I'm wondering, because I, so I was trying to figure it out as it was going. So first of all, for folks who may not be familiar with your Supreme Court primary, it's, it's not partisan. So it really people need to know the names uh, in order to make decisions uh, based on what, you know, the, what their uh, vision is, what they want a, a Supreme Court to stand on. While they can't say, this is how I'll vote on abortion, this is how I'll vote on, you know, gerrymandering and things like that. You know, people have to be kind of following the campaigns or be informed or or they're just going to go by names, maybe. But this is a nonpartisan, so people don't have like a D or an R on their names on this primary ballot, correct? That's correct. But it is kind of, you know, at this point, it's nonpartisan in name only. Like, you know, the way that <laughs> the way that these elections have gone uh, for the, you know, for the past, uh, you know, I don't know, 15 years or so in Wisconsin as things have gotten super polarized. 
Uh, you know, nobody's really uh, (laughs) saying that, uh, you know, that these are necessarily nonpartisan races. There were the two liberal justices on the ballot and two conservative justices on the ballot. And I think everybody knew, you know, kind of where the political alignment was. And so going into the night, uh, you know, I think uh, the thought was that Janet Protasiewicz, uh, the Milwaukee County judge would emerge uh, as the liberal candidate uh, in the primary. I think she did even better than what many were expect. Many people were expecting her to do. Uh, she got 40, about forty-five percent of the statewide vote, but she got more than the two conservatives combined. Which right. I think is one of the standout data points uh, from last night, which is that you know Everett Mitchell, the other uh, liberal candidate, he got about seven and a half percent statewide. Uh, but if you, you know, combine the totals from from Kelly, Daniel Kelly and Jennifer Doro, uh, the two uh, the two conservative candidates, they added up to still be behind uh, Protosewitz. So I think that's a really encouraging sign uh, for liberals, for progressives, for independents who want change in the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, in this uh, in this election cycle. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think liberals have to be feeling good uh, about their chances in April. I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but let's talk about the thing that's not encouraging, which is the amount of money the U-lines seem to be poised to pour into this race as well. Right. Yep. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Uh, we saw uh, they had already spent a whole lot of money in this race. Uh, backing Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly was the uh, was the conservative to emerge from the primary. Uh, got a lot of his support from rural districts around the state, uh, and he was the uh, former state Supreme Court justice who was appointed by Scott Walker in 2016, uh, and then he lost when he tried to the last time he tried to run for a full 10-year term on the court. Uh, that was that crazy pandemic election uh, in early 2020 uh, when he lost pretty significantly uh, in that race. And uh, now he's back. He's got the U-line backing, uh, and they, they spent a lot to back him in the primary. Uh, and I have to imagine the, the amount of spending that they are going to bring to this race is going to be pretty astronomical. Uh, but then again, I think uh, the Wisconsin Democrats are – you know, I think they're they're being pretty open about the fact that they're trying to make this a national race and trying to nationalize it in kind of the way that the Georgia runoffs have been nationalized in the last couple of election cycles, leading to Democratic victories. So the Wisconsin Democrats have a huge, huge fundraising advantage over Wisconsin Republicans right now. It's like three and a half million to about 100,000 or something like Ooh. that. It's really, really sizable. Okay. Uh, so that is uh, that is a huge factor. And I think now that we're through the primary uh, and we have the two candidates, we have the liberal candidate, we have the uh, conservative candidate, then, you know, some of those outside groups that were maybe waiting to see who the candidate would be along their kind of alignment uh, would, would bring those endorsements. So, like, for example, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin endorsed Janet Protasiewicz today. Uh, so now that, you know, now that those floodgates are going to open for a lot of those types of, you know, pro-choice groups uh, with the abortion issue being, you know, maybe the top issue uh, going into the general election for this state Supreme Court race. Uh, you know, we saw Emily's List uh, uh, endorse Protosewitz. They'd never endorsed a state-level judicial candidate before. So I think, you know, we're just and I, and I think we're going to see, see the same thing with the anti-choice groups on the other side of it as well. So there's just going to be, uh, this, you know, the, the, some of the projections have said that this will be not only the most expensive court race in Wisconsin's history, but maybe the most expensive state-level court race 
in the nation's history. Yeah, and I think that we all kind of uh, figured that might be happening, and with a significant amount of reason. As I mentioned, uh, not just the the uh, Supreme Court uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, but also the way in which Wisconsin is the most gerrymandered state in the country. Let's take a break here. We're hanging out with Dan Schaefer, the publisher of the Recombobulation Area. Follow him on Twitter. Subscribe to his newsletter and stay up to date on everything going on in Wisconsin. And uh, Dan, we'll be right back after this, all right? Great. Excellent. Uh, let's uh, also want to thank our sponsors. want to thank Minocqua Brewing for making these conversations possible. And, of course, Minocqua uh, supporting Janet. Prote- Pro- what is it? Protoitz. Protoseowitz. Pro- right, Dan? Protoseowitz? Protoseowitz. You got Pro- it. Ah, the fourth time's a charm. Janet Protoseowitz buying billboards and making sure we keep the Trump out of uh, out of Wisconsin races. So go to the Patty Vasquez show page. Check out our pinned post right there. You can see where you can pick up Progressive Brew or one of the hard choice seltzers supporting uh, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin. And uh, and also uh, now choice wine available and woke uh, some woke nitro coffee. So all great products from our friend Kirk Banks at Minocqua Brewing. Also want to thank our friends at Kids Above All. Go to kidsaboveall.org and support their mission to help children feel safe and supported. And uh, really find out how you can make that happen by donating money, your time, uh, attending events, uh, donations, uh, whether it's kids' backpacks or toys at Christmas time, or sometimes they're, they're trying to get mattresses and make sure that kids that are in, in home care uh, feel like there's some place where they are, they have dignity and respect. Also, don't forget our friend Warren Price is your guy. If something goes wrong with your car, if you get a fender bender or it's making a funny noise, uh, give him a call at 773-248-1200 or visit them at europeanus.com. More in a moment on Driving at Home with me, Patty Vasquez, as we continue our conversation about the most important race in the country. That's a Supreme Court race in Wisconsin. More in a moment on the Heartland Signal. The candidates have all spoken. What is your plan to improve public transportation in Chicago, Dr. Wilson? Public transportation, people got to feel safe. People got to put police officer on the CTA. Who will be the next mayor of Chicago? You've got to create conditions for economic development. And if you don't have safe communities and you don't have quality schools, you're going to continue to have communities that are being underserved. Of course, public safety matters. Keep it locked to WCPT 820 for all the updates. WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And before we get back to our conversation with Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area, don't forget coming up in just a little bit, we'll be giving away $25 gift cards courtesy of our friends, our, our collaborators that uh, are vendors of Monaco Brewing, so stay tuned for that. I'll be giving them away in just a few moments. I want to continue uh, with our conversation with Dan Schaefer. Uh, I was wondering, Dan, a lot of folks are talking today as well about uh, Ben Wickler's direction with uh, D- Wisconsin Dems. What are your thoughts on his leadership and the direction he's been taking some of these elections? I mean, you can't argue with results, right? <laughs> some, of the, some of these results have been... Uh, have been pretty impressive, and I think the way that he's been able to, you know, pilot the state party uh, and, uh, you know, really, you know, nationalize some of these races and use some creative strategies. You know, I think back to uh, some of the uh, some of the work that they did uh, during the pandemic to raise money when they, you know, got these kind of cast reunions on Zoom uh, to, to, you know, generate some funding for uh, for the state party. And, you know, I think they've been pretty creative. You know, there's this, it's not, they haven't been perfect. I think, you know, like anything, there's room for improvement. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's done a pretty good job. 
I uh, I, will, I will tell you uh, flat out, I really enjoyed the uh, West Wing reunion. I, I enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> I am a dork for those kinds of things. So I agree. I think that there were some creative uh, ideas for fundraising. And you mentioned that uh, not just with uh, Ben Wickler's direction with the Wisconsin Dems, but also organizations that will now be galvanizing groups across the country and elevating this race. Uh, what are, you know, I, since I, I really have never even really followed a Supreme Court race very closely, are there talks already about having another forum or do you think everything's going to be pretty much just hammering away at commercial TV uh, billboards and things like that? Yeah, I'm sure there will be some sort of, you know, there, there was the candidates in the primary were doing a whole lot of interviews uh, and, and things like that um, on, uh, on local TV, radio, wherever else. But there wasn't that. There was only just one uh, public forum for the four candidates. And I covered that out in Madison in early January. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I would hope that there was a little there might be a little bit more uh, back and forth between the two candidates as well, because I think. Um, you know, <laughs> the more voters are going to, the more chances voters get to get to know Dan Kelly, uh, the better it is for Janet Protasewicz. <laughs> that. That's a great way to. That's always the the fun part of that is like, yeah, please, more people find out how much, yeah, how much you don't want this guy. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah, he is. I mean, he is a really, you know, we we talked we talked about the U line funding. We talked about a lot of things. He is really off the deep end. Uh, with a lot of his views on certain things. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people think that if he was, if, that if he had won that election in 2020 and if he had stayed on the court, uh, that we had been, that we would have ended up in a constitutional crisis in Wisconsin after the 2020 election. Because the Wisconsin Supreme Court, the conservative majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, is so extreme that three of them voted to overturn the election in the state of Wisconsin uh, in 2020. Uh, and it took one conservative. Uh, Brian Hagedorn, who's been, kind of been the swing vote on the on the state supreme court uh, in the last couple of years, he, he sided with the three liberals, saying that no, we're this is ridiculous. We're not overturning a presidential election in this state. I think if Daniel Kelly had been there uh, instead of uh, liberal justice Jill Karofsky, then then we would have been in real trouble. So I think uh, I think you know Daniel Kelly, he, he tries to run on the fact that he's this constitutional conservative. Well, he's a constitutional conservative who was aligned with justices and with the wing of the political party that tried to overturn the election in 2020. So, you know, can't, can't overlook the contradiction there. Oh, please. The incongruity of rationale from these folks from, you know, Marjorie Trader Greene saying there should be a divorce between red states and blue states and we're headed to a civil war. I'm like, do you understand? I mean, I can't. Anyway, but but it is that sort of madness. Well, Kelly, Kelly is part of that. You know, she is part of the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Donald Trump, uh, you know, election denier wing of the party. Absolutely. He was even there was a story earlier this week. Uh, that he was working for the he was he was consulting uh, with the group trying to you know have these fake electors passed on uh, in the fake electors plot that kind of was wrapped up in all of the uh, January sixth madness uh, and he, they were you know he was he's been throughout the campaign criticizing. Uh, Janet Prosewitz for, you know, having having said some things about where she stands on abortion rights and uh, the where she stands on our ridiculously gerrymandered maps in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, she's saying that, you know, she's going to put her thumb on the scale. Well, Daniel Kelly was 
paid by the Republican Party and was at his office and within the Republican Party's office as recently as December when he was running for office. So it's uh, it's just a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of paradoxes, lots of contradictions uh, with Daniel Kelly. And, and you know, it's, like I said, it's the, 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 the forum that uh, I covered with, with him speaking on, it was just kind of one long condescending lecture uh, from the <laughs> former state Supreme Court justice. Uh, he, he's a real piece of work. Well, and I was watching an interview with a young woman who was campaigning on his on the uh, the republic the, the conservative Supreme Court uh, justice candidate and talking about she's a forced birther and about how you know they they're going door knocking they've done things they've never done before and I'm like look the Phyllis Schlafly had you beat by a mile but it's it all cut from the same cloth of ringing this bell uh you know the left the leftists and the communists and the socialists and they're going to destroy our, our our state you know because because they want to revert back to legislation from 1849 that basically denies complete access to abortion, right? I mean, that's the goal there with this group. So hopefully that'll be a, a really a, a, an alarm bell for a lot of folks that has to be rung from now until is April 4th, right? April 4th, yeah, 41 days. Wow. Not that we're counting. Yeah. So what is your sense of some of those grassroots groups for the forced birthing, uh, you know, branch of this race? <laughs> Are they? Are yeah, they? I think. You know, I, I think we have to just look at the recent history here and, and see that you know the the abortion issue really came up in such a big way in the governor's race uh, in Wisconsin last year, and you know Tim Michaels, the Republican candidate who who was basically said that the 1849 law was an exact mirror of his position uh, on on abortion, and so the Evers campaign really went after him for that. And, you know, turns out that they ended up doing really well. They won that, uh, you know, three and a half percent victory, which in Wisconsin is, uh, you know, we'll call it a Wisconsin landslide here. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think, you know, that's going to be a huge part of the race. And I think, you know, I think it's interesting just looking at the map. Uh, you know, I think, though, that kind of like suburban conservatives that were backing Scott Walker, I think that was kind of more of the religious conservative part of the party. And I think, you know, the the success that Protestate was had in the western part of the state that's kind of was, you know, the more white working class voters who, who came over towards Trump. But I don't really think those are the voters that are really amped up about the uh, anti-choice movement uh, in the same way uh, that, that some of those religious conservatives in the suburbs are. Uh, so I think that is something to watch as well, being that this is not, you know, your typical right-left uh ruling. And I think maybe you'll have some voters, uh, particularly women, uh, who are going to be siding with pro se what's here. Fair. I, and I also, uh, we've mentioned the gerrymandering. I think you've, you've talked about this before. Are there cases that are poised to be uh, taken to the court as soon as they, you know, in the hopes, obviously right now, but, but if there is a fourth liberal judge, are they ready to go with another case in order to attack, to go after gerrymandering? Yeah, from what I understand that there are, if, if, you know, if Protosiewicz wins this election on April 4th, she will be the justice uh, on the Supreme Court by, I think, August 1st is when her uh, her 10-year term would begin uh, if she were to win this race. And from what I understand, you know, there are challenges to the maps that are lined up and ready to go. 
Uh, and I think, you know, we've talked about this on the show many times. I write about this a whole lot at the recombobulation area. But the gerrymandering in the state is just ridiculous. It's out of control. We have a Republican Party that has drawn themselves maps where they can get close to a two-third supermajority, even as they're losing 50-50 race after 50-50 race in statewide races. It's just comically just out of control, ridiculous. And the reason that they are able to keep those maps uh, even though Tony Evers vetoed them uh, during the redistricting process, was that they had that firewall, that they had the courts yeah. able to overturn things. Uh, and so the conservative majority on the court initially sided with, with one of the maps that Evers introduced. Uh, they went to the U.S. Supreme Court, got that knocked down, and then they went back to uh, the the super gerrymander uh, that they installed for, for the last election cycle. Um, so I think the way I see it is just the, the maps have been the key to Republicans holding power in the state of Wisconsin, no matter how many statewide elections they lose. You know, and since since the Trump election in 2016 it was such a wake up call for Wisconsin because they, you know, nobody expected Trump to win Wisconsin. Well, since then, Democrats and democratically aligned candidates have won 13 of the last 16 statewide elections in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and and so even though they have that statewide election, uh, you know, winning streak, they're still really not able to advance a Democratic agenda. You know, we're seeing, uh, you know, states like Illinois and Minnesota and Michigan, you know, starting to do different things. We're stuck in the mud, spinning our wheels here in Wisconsin because we have these ridiculous maps. So I think, you know, once uh, once the you know race is decided, if Protasiewicz is victorious. Uh, then we will we will have a real challenge to this maps, and it would really upend uh, Wisconsin politics in a just fantastic way that would bring the bring the uh, bring the process back to the people. If you hear the energy and the jubilance in uh, Dan Schaefer's voice, then you definitely have to be reading his work as well. Uh, you can go to his Twitter account and follow him there, as well as finding the uh, where you can you can click right there at recombobulationarea.substack.com and subscribe to his newsletter. And of course, you can hear him on Wednesdays when his schedule allows and when we, for both of us, because I know we're both, we both get kind of swamped. And you can follow his work on Heartland Signal as well. Uh, I wish you well, Dan. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. I'm excited for you guys. We're going to do this. We're going to, we're, 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 we're fibs for Wisconsin. Days. <laughs> Take care, Dad. Have a good one. Let's uh, take you a thank, thank you. you. Take, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to catch up with a candidate for the 45th Ward Aldermanic seat, Susanna Ernst. If you have any questions, give me a call, 773-763-9278. More in a moment. Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at MP's Liquor and Wine in North Aurora, Taste Food and Wine in Rogers Park, as well as Uprising Bakery and Cafe in Lake in the Hills. Tell Karina we sent you. And drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. 
Thank you all for hanging out with us on this rather rainy day. This is the kind of chill that goes to your bones, and I know that my guest in the studio is getting a little bit of a respite from being out in the elements. The candidate for the 45th Alder seat is Susanna Ernst joins me. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you for taking on this uh, this challenge of entering public service. I know that we talked a few months ago, or I think even before you announced your candidacy. So how's it been going? It's been going really, really well. It's you know, it's a whole different kind of a, a an atmosphere when you're getting into the political sphere as opposed to the community advocate sphere. So when you're a community advocate, you're doing your thing and everybody seems to get engaged with what you're doing and appreciate what you're doing. But the political sphere, of course, is a little bit more combative and competitive. And so it is something that I am learning and I'm learning with the help of many of my community members who are diving right into and where it's been a great interesting learning experience. I, I'm, I'm learning all aspects of the 45th Ward and of Chicago City Council as well. Well, that's and that's the thing is that, uh, you know, people think, well, I want to run for office. And then, you know, sometimes it, when you are out there and talking to people, you're like, it shapes what you what your intentions are, too. So tell me a little bit about what you're hearing from neighbors as you knock on their doors and and meet at forums and things like that. Yeah. So there's a lot of consistent messaging and it's interesting because as combative as we seem to be in this era and we seem to be kind of this little microcosm of what's going on at the federal level, realistically, a lot of our neighbors want exactly the same things. And what I'm hearing a lot about, I would say the, the big points are that people are concerned about. People are concerned about public safety. Mm-hmm. People are concerned with economic development. And people are also concerned with kind of building progress and building community by being more unified. We're Mm -hmm. just seeing a lot of division right now and a lot of combativeness. And a lot of people are just done with that particular aspect of life in the 45th Ward. And you've worked on projects that bring people together. Tell us a little bit about the people space across from the Blue Line Terminal. So that was a space that was it was initiated many, many years ago, actually probably six, seven years ago. The alley was vacated and it was vacated so that ultimately there could be a space there for the community to gather. So over the course of the years, um, project plans developed, working with the city and um, the uh, I, I was uh, part of the project team that helped to come together to decide what the design would look like to make it a space that was welcoming to people with the seating and the colors. And we actually had a community vote on this several years ago that was, I do believe, the Chamber of Commerce and the Natick Press published the a survey and all the community members were able to come together to say, this is what I want this space to look like, mm-hmm. all the way down to what the archway was going to say over the top of it, which does say Jefferson Park. There were a myriad of selections that you could pick from as to what you wanted that archway to say, welcome you into this wonderful place in the community. And then further to that, just by happenstance, um, because I'd given a couple of educational lectures um, to the uh, AmeriCorps group here in the, working in the city of Chicago to make our our educational facilities better, working with our um, working over at actually Shures. Um, we worked collaboratively on a project with the Northwest Chicago Historical Society to put a mural in on the side of the people space, which is representative of all the wonderful buildings in the community, both past and present, as well as some of the founders of the Northwest side, uh, including um, 
including David L. Roberts, who Robert Square is named after, who's kind of the father of Jefferson Park, as well as Elijah Wentworth, who was the, the first permanent non-native settler on the northwest side. And that's something that uh, has always drawn me to you as well. I know that you've done so much work with uh, with the history of the community, including Native American uh, presence here as well. Tell us a little bit about that, because I was not even familiar with that. And I'm not that I'm Native uh, Indigenous uh, tribe to this area. My mother is part of a group in northern Mexico. But tell us a little bit about that corridor in, in our area that people should know about. So it's actually really an interesting story. And it's somewhat controversial, but it it uh, it did enable us to research a little bit more about what Native American history looks like on the northwest side. So the Portage Park Neighborhood Association, along with the National Park Service and the uh, Chicago American Indian Center um, and the Chicago, uh, the Chicago Center for the Arts all came together to kind of craft a walking museum down Irving Park Road. And it was going to be bookended by Native American uh, artistic mounds, both in Schiller Park and Horner Park, which uh, those mounds didn't get completed. Right now, the museum is kind of, the walking museum is uh, in a hold process. But um, the Northwest Chicago Historical Society got involved to kind of, to, to help to kind of build the history around what happened down Irving Park Road, because so many people historically believed that it was a portage, that that the uh, the Native Americans would walk from the Chicago River to the Des Plaines River, roughly on a path that was down Irving Park Road. And um, here in the studio, I can see Patty's eyes getting yeah, really like, wide. <laughs> yeah, but because that was always the story. And upon doing further research, what we came to the we came to an understanding that the word portage and portage park is not actually seen in writing until roughly 1911. There's no evidence that there actually was a portage ever okay. there. So um, that was a fascinating thing to, to understand. But So we're still celebrating Native American history on the Northwest Side, and there's still plenty of it. But the idea that there was a portage down Irving Park Road is um, probably, and the Native American Center, actually, we, we, they said that it was kind of a false narrative, that we were oh, wow. not really... Um, talking about the true history of what had happened on Irving Park Road. All that said, there's still rich Native history on the northwest side, and we do have those artistic mounds that are built today by, uh, that were uh, built by Native artists, Mm -hmm. and they're still there for us to see. So if you go to Horner Park, if you go to Schiller Park, you will see the the effigy mounds that are in those places. That's outstanding. And that's a lot of, I mean, what, what fascinates me about the work that you've done is, you know, you have this, you know, this this um, work of preserving the past, telling stories. Uh, you've done architecture tours. I know for the city of Chicago, architecture, right? Chicago, the you've you've gone and, and shown people around, whether it's Copernicus Center or other destinations. Uh, and then you also have an eye to the future when it comes to you know building a dy- more dynamic business areas, whether it's along Milwaukee Corridor or Devon Avenue, which is now part of the 45th Ward. Talk to us a little bit about your visions in that regard. Yeah. So realistically, we can. Cannot, it, it's not a lot of times people like to see this as dichotomy. Do we talk about preservation or do we talk about economic development? And it's not a dichotomy. There are ways in which that we can do this collaboratively. So we need to preserve the past so that people feel like that they have a sense of space. So there are these wonderful, wonderful places like the like the Gateway Theater, like many of our other wonderful structures on the northwest side that we want to preserve because we we're very proud of them, and that is part of our architectural and our our just our heritage here on the northwest side. Uh, In that same vein, 
we can't let things stagnate. We must work toward the future. We have to build up that. We have to build up our, our small businesses. We have to rejuvenate our our corridors. There's there are you know there have been I've sat, it's so funny I've sat through maybe four master plans for the, some of the Milwaukee corridor over the last twenty years, and the most recent one was very robust with hundreds of people involved. I think it's time for us to take a step back and look at some of those plans and and figure out what we pull from those plans and bring our neighborhood groups together to say, what can we do? What can we execute on to make this this corridor better and to make our businesses spaces better? And and how do we advocate for our businesses? How do we get our chambers of commerce funded? And how do we make sure that our small business owners feel like they, they have support from leadership? There's a whole myriad of ways in which we can build up our economy here. And um, it's a combination. It's a combination of preserving our past and looking toward the future with building up new business because and people are ready for that people are ready for that when i was running for office in 2019 starting in the summer of 2019 you know i went to all the groups uh, i had been you know sort of jumping in once in a while but i had a schedule where i was on overnights and no matter where i went long before you had decided to run for office excuse me <laughs> apparently someone's calling and saying i remember Susie at those meetings too uh you were at every single neighborhood meeting that i was at uh, you know i was trying to make, what the <laughs> that was aggressive Let's turn that off. Uh, you were at whether it was whether it was over here in Gladstone Park, uh, the chamber meetings, the neighborhood meetings, the Jefferson Park Forward, JPNA. Tell us a little bit about the, the the idea of being a part of those groups and talking to everyone. And it, it was is the way you you come across to me. It yes, and that is so important to me because very technically I live in the neighborhood of Jefferson Park, but Jefferson Park is connected to Portage Park and to Gladstone Park and all the surrounding. Areas. I mean, and, and even broader than the 45th Ward across into Dunning and into Mayfair and so forth. We are all, we're, we're a mosaic of communities and we are all interconnected. And what was always important to me was to ensure that I had connectivity to everybody across the board and, 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 and across the neighborhoods that are connected to the neighborhood that I live in simply because we can't get anything accomplished unless we have strong collaborative relationships with all of our community members, especially our important community leaders. No matter what their politics are, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you want to do good in your community, you should be you should be encouraged to do that. You should be enabled and you should be respected for that. And I don't know that that's happening right now. I have a lot of respect for all of my neighbors throughout our communities, throughout the 45th Ward. And I've been working, especially with the neighborhoods that are directly adjacent to the one that I live in for for years because everybody's doing such good work. And I, I have a lot of respect for those people because they they care about them. That's where they're involved. And that's why I'm involved. And um, I feel like running for older person is an extension of all of, of this work and collaboration because what I would want to do is to build up those relationships further and ensure that if people have important things that they want to do for our communities, they're able to do that in a very respectful way. And um, I, 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 even if I disagree with people from time to time, I love everybody. They're, they're, it's, this, this ward, these neighborhoods are filled with really, really great people with wonderful intentions. We are talking to Susanna Ernst, who's running for the alder, alder person seat of the 45th Ward. You can visit her website to find out more about her campaign. If 
you want to get involved. I mean, there's plenty of time to, to get to get on board. If you're on the northwest side, if you're looking for new leadership over over by here, because that's where we are, let folks know what's the website. It is Susanna for 45.com. And if you go to the about page, you can see the litany of things that I've done in the community over the years. And if you uh, go to the uh platforms page. You can see how uh, I feel about different issues, particularly ones that are broader, not just the main platform points, but broader issues across uh, that are concerning to city council, whether it be education, TIF reform, the arts, whatever it might be. You can look at all of that. When we come back, we'll talk about public safety, which I know a lot of folks are talking about. I know people are talking about our neighbors who uh, are vulnerable when it comes to housing and, and issues like that. We'll continue our conversation when we come back with Susanna Ernst. More on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. The election for our next mayor, as well as so many aldermanic seats across the city of Chicago, is on Tuesday, February 28th. And in studio with me, I have Susanna Ernst, who's running for the 45th Ward. There's a new uh, portion of our ward. It's expanded into Edgebrook. And uh, Susanna Ernst was actually one of the people that uh, brought some of the conversations about how the maps were going to be drawn. Tell us a little bit about that work and uh, your involvement with trying to educate folks on how that was going to unfold. Yeah, so as folks that probably listen to this show know, every 10 years after there's a census, the lines are redrawn. And this is something that just doesn't happen at Chicago ward level. It happens at a state level and, of course, at a congressional level, too. The ward boundaries changed, as they do every 10 years. And this year, or this particular cycle, there were folks from Change Illinois that believed that the people of Chicago should have some say in what our ward boundaries look like. For example, Inglewood was splintered up into multiple different wards. It was just hard to manage anything in that community, as well as other communities throughout the city of Chicago. So with several hundred other community leaders, I came together to build out the people's map. So it was a reflection of what the people of Chicago believe that their maps should look like to keep our communities cohesive. And uh, the the group worked with, it was the uh, Chicago Advisory District Committee. They worked with uh, statisticians to make sure that the, the wards were had the right amount of people in them and with the right demographics and so forth. But at any rate, um, what was proposed is the people's map. While there was some negotiation with the Latino caucus, at the end of the day, what was presented out and what was suggested to city council was, of course, neglected and it was not um, it, it was not agreed upon so what the people of Chicago kind of said this is what we want um, it was it was rejected now coming up into that in the beginning of last year there was a lot of confusion Patty sure. people were just what what is happening what's happening with my ward and so I called change Illinois and I said would you be willing to come up to the northwest side and talk to people about what these different maps mean and what city councils even voting on because none of our council members are being being transparent about what's going on behind closed doors. So uh, they did come up and gave us a, a came over to the Copernicus Center, as a matter of fact, and gave us a wonderful, wonderful presentation about what was happening. So the people of the Northwest Side could be more educated yep. about what was going on. And that that was really crucial for an understanding. But at the end of the 
day. It happens like it happens every 10 years, and the legislators chose their voters instead of the voters choosing them, and so they basically picked what the ward was going to look like. And it was really hard for some people, particularly up in the Edgebrook Wildwood area, uh, because it was just all of a sudden they were in a new ward. And I don't think that they had, they might have had an inkling, but they didn't have too much warning. It was all of a sudden they're changing. So now you know, they went from one alderman to another. Um, and um, it was something that it was out of their control. And it was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, so if you look, there's a huge piece of the 39th ward that juts out into the middle of the 45th ward, splitting up the yep. Edgebrook Business District on Devon Avenue. So that makes things a challenge up there. But also, too, at the bottom of our ward, it it splinters off into Independence Park, and it's just a very, very skinny strip going a couple blocks around Irving Park Road all the way over to Elston. And the people down there have expressed frustration, too, because they're surrounded by different wards, and they say, how are we supposed to manage anything from a community perspective, a business development perspective, because we do, we're all split up over here, and they're not even really sure why. Um, and I don't know that we'll ever really know why, but at any rate, it, it's very important to me that we think about that moving forward. And if I am so fortunate to be part of city council, that is something that we would need to address. And we need to address it sooner rather than later, because we can't be thinking about this in 2032. We need to be thinking about this now, like in the next few years, as we're coming up into the next census. We need to attack the issue and talk about it and talk about how we, you know, that do we have an outside organization manage this with the people of Chicago? I, I don't think that city council members behind closed doors should be building out those maps. I know that they'd be aggravated with me for saying this, but it's really, it's it's not, it's a, it's a detriment to the, the people of the city of Chicago. And that's what I think people are looking for, is someone that stands up and fights for their communities and, and to make sure that they know what is going on. And that's something that you've brought, I know, to, to our community. And I know that uh, one of the things you're going to hear on the door is, well, you know, as long as my garbage cans are placed and my potholes are filled, there is there is sometimes an inconsistency of services. And I know people want an older person that is responsive. Talk to us a little bit about your vision for meeting the needs of people in the community. So meeting the needs of the people in the community when it comes to those types of infrastructure issues, that's baseline. That's that's what people should get just as a baseline from their older person. That's not even something that we should be talking about or negotiating about or saying how well you're going to do it because it needs to be done. If somebody has an issue with their street or their sidewalk or if there is a, a, some other infrastructure issue with a water line or something, this is something that needs to be or garbage pickup, although older people don't really control that particular element anymore. Um this is something that should be, it's not even a, it's it's non-negotiable. It's just, that's the base of the job. So things that you do above and beyond that, that's what brings about the differential. That's what differentiates you from other people who might do the role throughout the city of Chicago. Sure, everybody should be everybody should be fixing the streets and everybody should have, you know, equal services or whatever it might be. But again, that's not something that is... Um, interesting or creative are going to bring your neighborhood growth. Um, so uh, there's so much concern, like I said, with safety and economic development. Uh, having the roads fixed, that's baseline. That just needs to get done. I, I agree with you on that. And, and one of the issues that's come up in this community, I know that there were, there were several groups and a working group uh, to uh, address some of our neighbors who don't have homes. Uh, the Blue Line Terminal has been, uh, you know, one, a lot of talk in the in the community. What are your thoughts with helping our, our neighbors who need help? Yeah, that's it's we are at crisis mode and in the city of Chicago and throughout the nation. It's 
a huge issue uh, that we have so many unhoused people. And it's not just the transit center. It's also under some of our bigger viaducts. And also uh, there are some tent cities that have popped up in certain places. Uh, some in the, the central part of the ward. I mean, throughout the city of Chicago. But we, we need to we really, really need to figure out what we're going to do about that moving forward. I would first and foremost, if somebody is 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 unhoused. I mean, first, before you do anything, you want to make sure that they're not suffering. So first you say, you know, do they need medical help? Do, uh, are they, you know, is somebody starving or do they, are they in pain or whatever? And f- that's the first, that's what you do first and foremost. So take care of their basic needs. And then on the Northwest side, you know, there's... Night Ministry, Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. So figuring out how to help them from that perspective. Mm-hmm. But then more broadly, Patty, t- long term, we need to think about, you know, I, I think it was, I think it's awful that the whole Bring Chicago Home initiative with the real estate transfer tax on city council that uh, older people couldn't even be bothered to show up to vote on that, which would have helped to figure out some sort of resources for our homeless moving forward. And I think that a semblance of that should be brought back, definitely. Um, and I'd be willing to do something like that because it's a thing I care about very, very deeply. And, and in addition to that, then long term, we need to think about working with our with our state legislators to say, hey, can we get some mental health facilities or social services here on the northwest side so we can get to the root cause of some of these issues? So there are very short term things that we need to think mm-hmm. about. But also, too, we need to think about the long term plans, because what's happening right now, we, we it's um, it's not sustainable. And. And it's uh, it, 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 the problem continues to worsen. So it's it's really really important that we we start thinking about taking care of those issues today. And because it's the thing that people think about or talk about lately. A tremendous amount. Public safety. What are your thoughts on on public safety? Yeah, and this is the Northwest side. We are the home to so many first responders. And um, I know with the police department, it, it was interesting because this is an area in which I, I have had a great deal of learning over the last six months. It's just been incredible. So I live very near Lawrence in Milwaukee, and people would talk to me about response times or they would mention it. And because I live so near the terminal I and and we do call police officers from time to time because we need assistance with something or we're concerned about something but and they always were there very very quickly so the idea to me that response times were long it was it, to me it didn't it didn't jive because of the fact that I was always uh, I never had that issue but I, it was explained to me that that is because I'm living near the transit center where there's generally a police oh. officer or two hanging around and I'm too I'm not very far from the police station either so that's another a big aspect of it, but this big learning curve for me, and I'd already attended CAPS meetings from time to time, but I was trying to attend them more regularly, and also going to the consent decree meetings, I got to talk to people and what their experiences were, not just police officers, but residents. So police officers are, you know, they are, they're very concerned with response times, and they were very candid about it, as were residents. Uh, Response times are way too long right now, um, and our police officers are exhausted, they're not getting days off, you know, and um, they're uh, working very long hours. So we need to figure out a way to resolve for that. Right now, we just we we don't have enough officers on the street. And when I say that, we don't. It's not that we need to increase the budget. That's not what I'm saying at all. Some people interpret when I say, "Well, we need more police officers." We need to just get to where where response times come down. So it's unacceptable that if somebody is in danger or their life is in jeopardy, that they would have to wait, you know, a long, long time for a police officer to get there. And I just learned recently that um, within the last couple of weeks that sometimes the EMT 
EMTs and firefighters are getting to a site before police officers right. can get there, and they're not equipped to handle those types of situations, like violent situations. And if something is in progress, they can't help somebody in need because the police officers aren't there yet. And those are really unacceptable situations. We need to figure out, first of all, how to get um, more police officers. And I'm not just talking about the Northwest side, although people talk the sure. need here, all throughout the city of Chicago um, so that people don't have to wait for long periods of time to get help. And so we need to figure out, we need to figure out, of course, just the basics. How do we recruit? and How do we retain our experienced officers? But then longer term, there's always a longer term element. And so we need to think in more uh, more progressive ways about how we manage for some of our issues that we have with with public safety moving forward. So we need to talk about reopening those mental health facilities. And I think that everybody's kind of in agreement with that, that we, everybody needs needs that. We need to talk about um, also getting in more social services to get some, to some of the roots of crime. And we need to talk about transferring some of those responsibilities that are on police officers that deal with mental health issues and transfer those responsibilities over to people that are able to manage those issues on site rather than if somebody's having a mental health crisis, it's not it's not in the, the uh, police officer's wheelhouse to be able to manage for those things. That should be somebody else. And I know that that's that is a long term complex plan that we need to think about. But I think that we can get there if we just take a step back and say, all right, where do we need to allocate our resources? Outstanding. Before we go, I know you got to get back on the doors. <laughs> uh, give us some, uh, like a minute wrap up of, of your pitch to the to voters, whether they're in the 45th Ward or maybe they know someone here of why you should be the next alder person. So what I will say is I have been involved in the 45th Ward for over 20 years, well over 20 years, in a myriad of different ways. I care about our communities. I've been engaged. Uh, I've established four different civic, organiz- civic organizations, and I have worked very, very hard to make our communities as safe and collaborative and prosperous as possible just as a community leader. And I want to continue to do that here because I truly care. And I ha- I was, I've been doing this for years. I'm doing it now, and I will continue to do this no matter what. I'm not going anywhere, and I feel like this I am ready to lead the 45th Ward into the next few years as we build, as we grow, and I'm ready to take on the responsibilities that will uh, that will drive us forward. I've been doing it already. I want to continue to do it, and I'm passionate about it, and um, I- I'm well positioned to do that. Go get them. Go, go, go on the doors. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I wish me. you the best, Susanna. And we're, we're going to be broadcasting live from her uh, from her election night party on Tuesday at the Gale Street Inn. So, uh, again, go to SusannaFor45.com and find out more about the campaign. I've got to run. Uh, and so does Susie. More after this on WCPT 820. Light at the end of the tunnel. Light at the end of this tunnel. That light at the end of the tunnel. Your guiding light. That light is going to get brighter and brighter. Another day. I think it's a great day. The Joan Esposito Show. Live, local, and progressive. Weekday afternoons at 2 on WCPT 820. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and RJ wine and spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. 
And don't forget that we are giving away $25 gift cards to our our vendors at Stock Manaqua Brewing Company Progressive Beers. Uh, we want to thank our friends at Annoyance Theater and Bar, Baker Street Burgers in Rockford, Beer on Central in Evanston, Convito Cafe and Market in Wilmette, just to name a few. Those are some of the vendors that have graciously contributed gift cards to this week's giveaway. And if you're watching on Facebook, you will uh, see a name that's uh, your opportunity to win because you get two ch- you get two chances, 773-763-9278. Again, you have to take a look at the Facebook live stream to see. I don't even know. Oh, hey, look at that. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if we already had them with this one this week. I know I shuffled the deck, but this works as well. So uh, that's the, uh, the, the name. If you can text us, 773-763-9278. And for everyone who's listening, uh, text Georgia. Two seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. That's Georgia for a variety of reasons, not just the uh, the grand jury, and of course, uh, all eyes are turning to Georgia this week. Um, I, I don't, you know why? So seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight, Georgia and or the word that you see right now on Facebook Live. Joining me in studio is Rick Geezer. He is running to be the mayor of Carroll Stream. We did a little Facebook Live video the other night, so if you are a resident of Carroll Stream or you want to know what's going on in that race, maybe you know someone that lives there, and you're like, hey, I, you know, I was checking out the candidate for your mayor's race, and uh, he joins us in studio now. Hey, Rick, how you doing? Hey, Patty. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And you have a little, a little bit of time because our race uh, for Chicago mayor is on February 28th. Yours is not until April. It isn't until April 4th, but in DuPage County, early voting starts tomorrow on the 23rd. All right. So you can, it's only one location at the DuPage County Fairgrounds, but you can go on out and vote tomorrow. Outstanding. So what, uh, you, how long have you served on the, uh, the board of trustees at the, in Carroll Stream? I've been a, a, a Carroll Stream Village trustee since, uh, 2000. Three. Mm-hmm. I uh, I took two years off at one point, so I've I've been elected five terms. Always the top vote getter. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's got to feel good. It, it was always nice. Yeah. What uh, What inspired you originally to run for the board? Well. I grew up in Carroll Stream. My parents were some of the pioneers in the village, early early people to move into the town, still mm-hmm. live there. Um, this is something I've always wanted wanted to do. I've always wanted to be involved with it. Um, I grew up there. I went to school there. I graduated high school there. I moved my family there to raise my, our son. And uh, this is this is what I really want to do. And some of the things that people I know were asking uh, when we did our interview the other night. Again, you can go to elect elect Rick electricgeezer.com uh, and on Facebook as well. Uh, some of the things that that folks were asking about were you know bringing in new businesses, and you know we we have the same issue here where the properties that are empty. Uh, so I think folks talk about that quite a bit. What are some of the things that you envisioned for the community as the mayor of Carroll Street? Well. Um, we need to expand uh, our opportunities and and actually get out there and talk to the various businesses. We were just meeting last night with I had a budget hearing last night mm-hmm. and our community development department we've been I've been I've been encouraging him to get out there and talk to new businesses and uh, we've got a number of businesses that are 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 looking into Carroll Stream. One of the new businesses that I was instrumental in is uh, is getting a dispensary. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the members of the board had turned it down before, but I just kept on it, kept on it, kept on it, talking to the board members, uh, talking with uh, the staff, and finally we were able to uh, to get it. Uh 
to get it passed that we will allow dispensaries. And we have a number of uh, a number of people who are now interested, and it looks like we'll probably have one coming soon. And we're projecting uh, up to a million dollars in in tax revenue just to to the village, just from one dispensary. So that'll be great for our residents. And I know that you know the communities often you know are concerned. We've had a dispensary on Milwaukee. I think there's two dispensaries, uh, one a little bit farther north from here and a little bit farther south. So I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, you know, there's some resistance to that. What are some of the the ways in which you were able to break down those barriers to bringing in dispensaries? Well, there are some people who just aren't going to get it. You know, th- there are some people who who are stuck in the uh, you know the the uh, you know that it you know that it's a scary thing. It's the whole the the whole scare tactics uh, of the 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, but it's legal business. Mm-hmm. We I I would stress to the the people that it's a legal business in the state of Illinois, and that we will be bringing in major tax revenue. And it's it's a well regulated industry. Children aren't going to be able to get in it. People who don't want to go there aren't going to be bothered by it. There's heavy security. And uh, I just kept stressing. And finally, for most people, it was the tax revenue. <laughs> that really, you know, they were, they, you know, they we really, you yeah. know, but then there were some board members. There were some board members. And as you can probably, uh, probably expect, we're, we're like, well, it's, it's all about the money. It's like, well. Yeah. In some cases, it is, especially when it's tax dollars. It's like I'm a regular guy, you know. I, me and my wife and our son, we, you know, we're like the the majority of the people in Carroll Stream. We have a regular house. We don't live in a big mansion on the west side of town, anything like that. We're just regular people, like everyone else. So we're affected by all this too. So we would like our tax dollars to stay as low as possible, and this will help that. Tell folks a little bit about Carroll Stream. The, the if you, if you have a, a way to sort of describe the demographics, because uh, if I've been there a couple times, you and yeah. I have, uh, have met out there. Uh, to, I mean, some people might think of it as like a lot of strip malls, a lot of highways getting through there. Like, so tell us a little bit about the community itself. Well, it's it's around forty thousand forty thousand people in uh, the the northwest uh, area of DuPage County. Okay, um, it's along well North Avenue. Everyone knows North Avenue. North Avenue runs right through our town. That's the one. I was thinking yeah, of, yes. That runs right through Route 64, runs right through town. Uh, and it is a, um, it is a, a, a predominantly um, um, family oriented community sure. uh, with increasing, uh, in, in, increasing uh, ethnic groups of all sorts coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, so there's a lot of diversity in town, and that's something I've been stressing, and, you know, that we have to. Uh, you know, herald this and we have to be champions for all the people, you know, even, you know, if it's just going to an ethnic restaurant or if it's, you know, having a proclamation for a Sikh group mm-hmm. that's having an event. If it's, uh, you know, one of the biggest things I've been proud of about the diversity is, is, um, is you know, having a, a pride proclamation in June. We do that every year. And that was something I came up with and something I will continue to do as mayor. Excellent. We're talking to Rick Geezer. He's running to be the mayor of Carroll Stream. Uh, electrickgeezer.com is the website where you can visit if there are, uh, if you have anyone that lives there or you live there yourself. If you have any questions, don't hesitate. 773-763-9278 is the number to join us. We'll take a break here. And don't forget to, te- to text Georgia to 773-763-9278 is the number for your chance to win a gift card from one of the wonderful vendors that carry Minocqua Brewing Company 
progressive beers, including Doty's Liquor in Elmhurst, Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, Orange and Brew in Downers Grove, and our public house in Rogers Park. We want to we welcome Wilmette Market at 3534 Lake Avenue to the progressive beer family. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I don't think it's ever a downtime for uh, people running for office. I know it seems like we're always talking about this, but you know, you know, paying attention to elections is is it should we shouldn't think of it as work. We should think of it as civic engagement. That's why I continue to have candidates from all the races in the Chicagoland area, including our friend Rick Geezer, who's running to be the mayor of Carroll Stream. And I know that uh, some of the work that you've done, uh, you were mentioning before the break, you know, making sure that uh, that people feel welcomed, and and that's really uh, it can be challenging these days when people are arguing about so many different things online. Have you seen any of that bleed over into your town hall, the town meetings uh, as a, a trustee? Oh, yeah, we yeah. have. Of course, there are people who will speak in, you know, coded language about them and those. Oh, dear. You know, so, you know, and, you know, but that that, that happens everywhere. And, and it, it, that should never be tolerated. Right. It should always be called out. But um, we've just got to start educating people. And yes. I think by... Uh, by me doing a show like this or me talking to individuals, there are chances to to do it in a big audience like this or in an individual going, hey, you know what? I think what you said is a little a little wrong. Are you uh, you know hearing a lot of people talk about public safety in your community as well? Because that seems to be a top topic in Chicago. Well, you know, you see the commercials. It's like it's safety, safety, safety. You know, but it's safety everywhere. We're all we all want to make sure our 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 families are safe and secure, and uh, that's something we worry about as well. Um, in fact, we just uh, at our village board meeting last night, we just hired a brand new officer, and that's always a great uh, a great thing uh, when we can bring in someone who's uh, young and inspired <laughs> and excited uh, to enter the profession. And uh, so, uh, w- you know, we're very excited about that. Um, and and we're always trying to do new things to make sure um, our. Um, Our residents are protected. One thing we've talked about before is mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during all the um, a lot of the um, the the riots and different things back in 2020, people were talking about defund the police and all that. But they were there was talk about you need to put money into mental health. Well, in Carroll Stream, we have had a social services unit for almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. We have social workers on staff 24 hours a day to provide for residents um, should they be a victim or should they have uh, something else going on in their life. Um, and uh, and we've talked about this as well, that we are, are, are going to have it in our budget that we're hiring additional uh, social workers because they're so, so needed yes. in the village and so needed in, in the country. I agree. I agree completely. What are some of the issues that uh, you're hearing from constituents in, in your community? What you know, when you knock on doors, we talk about public safety. You know, talking about bringing back businesses. I, I'm guessing that education and things like that. What are some of the issues? Well, in education is always important. It's a, it's a little different in at least in our suburb. It's that you know the schools are different are their own separate governing bodies. So we can work cooperatively to share to try to uh, share resources if we can. But the the uh, the job of education 
decision is in their hands. Uh, so we, we as uh, village leaders, we, we expect and demand that there is quality education, and, and so far we've gotten that. And I know that people also worry about uh, their property taxes and uh, getting some relief there. What, what, you know, because you mentioned like municipalities and taxing bodies, bodies and things like that, what are some of the ways that you want to make sure people feel as though, one, uh, that their taxes are well spent, and two, you know, ways in which they feel like it, you know, they're not overburdened by them? Well, one of the main things is transparency. Mm-hmm. Make sure everyone knows that we're we're not hiding anything make sure uh it's 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 online if it can't be online make sure it's easy to be foiaed mm-hmm. yeah, everyone knows what foia is i don't imagine who would be listening to this show but that's where you can send sure. it and get get public documents um uh make sure that's n- not a burden um and make sure the meetings are scheduled so people can attend and with new technologies, I want to make sure that we have streaming services available so people, if they can't make it to a meeting, they can watch it online like you're doing, you know, online here. Um, so those are some of the things right there. And and just being very forthright and, and sharing the information. Another thing would be actually going to visit with groups of people and saying, hey, you got, do you have questions? This is some of the things we're doing. What, what do you think? Not that we're, you know, we're turning it over to them. I mean, some people, some organizations do that, but, you know, that we find out what they're thinking and how the money should be spent. And I also imagine that a big part of this job as being mayor is a collaborative nature with, uh, with the board and with the trustees. Tell us a little bit about that relationship that you've built over the 20 years of working not just with the trustees, but with the community in general. Well, it, it, it is a collaboration because you're going to be working with uh, the staff, you're going to be working with the other elected officials, and then you're going to be working with other organizations, elected organizations throughout the community, schools, fire, mm-hmm. uh, parks. You're going to be dealing with all of them. And in many cases, we can share resources. Do we all need the same widget? You know, maybe we can get one or two of them and we can share them. Right. So these are things we we need to work at and and work together. We've been doing some of that. And as mayor, that is something I will continue to do. And, you know, the uh, the, also the relationship with um, the state level. Right. Because as a mayor, you'll also need to talk to your state representative, your state senators and uh, and then your you know federal trying to figure out ways in which your community is getting the resources that they that they need and they deserve. What are some of the ways you, you want to you see working with? those elected as well. Well, we'll need to work with our county board, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, one of the things I'm doing right now, I, I'm working with the, the county on a, on, a, on a group called the Prevention Leadership Team. We're working on ways to uh, combat uh, youth drug abuse. So I'm, I'm working with some of those leaders right now. Also, we, we will need to work with state legislators and the federal legislators as well. And these are, these are um, relationships I have already uh, established, and I've worked with these people on on many issues. And, and so that's that's the, the, the again going back to collaborative and transparent because I think what people want uh, is to be heard. Don't you find that that's something that that they seek is uh, knowing that when they not just when they vote but when they come into to meetings with you know their electeds, they want to see a reflection of what they've shared. Right? They want it's their story. Right? So what are the, some of the things that that you've learned from your constituents having served for twenty years? Well, as I'm sitting there and people come into the meeting, we are here to be their representatives. We're, th- we're there to represent them. Um, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be scared. 
that they're coming and you're yelling. Uh, because every once in a while there's going to be a flashpoint of something and they're not happy and we're going to have a room full of people complaining about something. And that's great, in my opinion. That is democratic and that's what we are there for. Some some elected officials don't like that. But I think that's why we're there. Smile. Listen. Learn. Thank you. <laughs> Should I mean, there's so many issues going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. If we would just listen, acknowledge, and learn. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. Yeah, it makes a difference. Uh, what has surprised you in running for office? I know that you it, it's different than running for trustee. Uh, you have to, you know, you're pitching yourself a different way. Is there anything that's happened during this campaign season that has surprised you? Well, uh, I, um, the time. The time? Okay. The time. Time is one. You know, this is a part-time job. It is a part-time the job. The mayor is or the trustee? Oh, the both? mayor. Oh, both. Okay. They're both part-time jobs. Okay. Um, and uh, just the time to put into it is is, uh, is more than I expected. Okay. But uh, I wouldn't give it up because it's, I've, I've enjoyed meeting so many different people that I that I didn't know before. And I've I've been around the community. I talk to people regularly at events. Um, uh, one thing people know me from is I have a very active social media um, presence, uh, sharing information about the community, and that's something I will continue to do as mayor. But people will see, oh, I saw you do, you know, talk about this, or I saw, I do a lot of videos, I do a lot of trivia, I do a lot of uh, education on things happening and things that happened in the past in the community. We are hanging out with Rick Geezer. He's running for mayor of Carroll Stream. And uh, we hang out. We're, we're going to check in with the 41st Ward Aldermanic uh, candidate, uh, yes. Paul Strubing. But if you want to hang out, uh, let's continue our conversation. And for those who are watching our live stream, there's your word that uh, you can text 273-763-9278 because you get not just one, but two chances to win a $25 gift card to one of our wonderful uh, friends that carry Manaqua Brewing Company Progressive Beers and Choice Seltzers. Uh, we're giving you a gift cards to places like Our Public House, the brand new uh, friend of ours, Will Met. Well, they've always been friends. I'm just saying they're now in the Progressive the uh, progressive Beer uh, family. Will Met Market at 3534 Lake Avenue, just to name a couple. And of course, for everyone that wants a chance uh, that's listening, perhaps not watching, uh, Georgia. You can text Georgia to 773-763-9278. Of course, I'm kind of giving you a hint as to what the other word is. I'm just saying. But go ahead and check and see if you're right by watching the live stream at WCPT Facebook page. More with Rick Geezer when we come back and we'll check in with 41st Ward Aldermanic candidate Paul Streaming in just a moment. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. I am in studio with Rick Geezer. He's a candidate for the mayor of Carroll Stream. And there's another race going on right down the road from where we are on Milwaukee Avenue on the northwest side. Paul Strubing joins us on the air. He is running to be the, the alderman of the 41st Ward. How's it going, Paul? Hey, Patty. Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, we talked to you a few weeks ago. Uh, how has it been going on the doors? What are you What are you hearing from folks? Because I'm seeing a lot of energy and momentum coming your way. No, it's going really well. Uh, responses have been awesome on the doors. People are really excited about the uh, possibility of change up here, and um, 
you know, we're excited about it, too. So it's going really well. I believe congratulations are in order on your endorsement from the uh, Chicago Tribune. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, Um, it was exciting. And, and, uh, you know, we've been endorsed by a wide range of uh, folks and organizations from the Sierra Club to the laborers to uh, the joint teams to joint teams to joint council and local 700. So um, we're excited to have all those endorsements um, and to be, you know, putting our head down and running like crazy till next Tuesday. And uh, I know that uh, obviously early voting has started in different locations. Uh, I saw your signs in front of the Roden Library, which was my childhood library. Uh, you are running to be the alderman of the, the neighborhood I grew up in or the neighborhoods uh, that I spent a lot of time in. And uh, and I know that it can be, uh, you know, it, it, when first, you know, running for office and, and two in a community that has a lot of first responders and, and sometimes there's, a, there's these cliques and people are tribal. What are you hearing from folks when it comes to uh, public safety? in our community in that community so um people are i mean everybody's concerned about public safety across the city but um you know public safety is about more than just policing um obviously you know i support fully staffing the 16th district which is uh the largest district in the city but also from a miles perspective but also is the most understaffed because officers get taken from there on a regular basis but um you know in addition to doing the policing stuff, we also need to do the other things that make us safe, like make sure our streets are safe for kids and families with safer street design, um, make sure our water is clean. Um, you know, 50% of water tests in the 41st Ward come back positive for lead. Um, and, you know, Whoa. our current alderman voted against the lead service line replacement program. Um, so things like that, making sure that we're keeping uh, tobacco products out of the hands of kids. The current alderman's voted repeatedly against um, regulations that would have worked to do that and um up until this year had voted against every single regulation of vaping products that came before city council including the flavored tobacco ban um so and tobacco product ban so um we're going to focus on a wide range of and we are focusing on a wide range of uh public safety issues um and that's really resonating with folks up here um they want the police protection but they also want to be able to trust that their neighbor can be able to walk to the grocery store and come back in one piece or their kid can ride their bike to school and and not get run off the road so um traffic safety is a big issue up here along with all those other issues too so i believe you have an event coming up is that correct yeah so we have um we had a community forum a couple of weeks ago um, that was put on by the Big Oaks Union Ridge Neighborhood Association, Edison Park Community Council, and the 41st Ward Democratic Committee um, that Anthony did not show up to. My my opponent and the current alderman did not show up to. Um, there's also one tomorrow that the Big Oaks Union Ridge Neighborhood Association is putting on at St. Monica's. It starts at 7 p.m., um, and that's at 1515 North Montclair. Uh where Anthony and I will each be given 10 minutes to speak. I hope to see Anthony there, and I'm really excited to talk about the issues and Anthony's records on those, record on those issues and how we can make this world a better place to, you know, grow up, grow old, and raise a family and build a life, so... And I know that I was just talking to to our, our guest in studio, Rick Geezer, who's running for mayor of Carroll Stream, about how, uh, you know, it, it is th- that connection with people in your community. They want to know that their electeds are uh, responsive. Uh, you know, they're going to see you at the grocery store or on the playgrounds with their kids, uh, maybe at church. What are some of the things that you want people to know in your neighborhood about why you're running for office and what you offer? Sure. Um, so I'm running because this neighborhood and the people that live here do a lot for the city. 
They pay a lot in taxes, and we deserve leaders in city government that work as hard as they do. And our current alderman, while he's a nice enough guy, has missed 70 meetings since he got reelected, which is about a quarter of the required meetings. And those are the meetings where the money gets allocated. So despite paying as much as we do in taxes, we don't get nearly um, the resources that we need up here. And um, that's because our current alderman isn't fighting for them. And, you know, I've knocked on, we've knocked on over 12,000 doors in this campaign. We've been working really hard, and we're going to continue to work very hard for the people who live here um, once we're in office because um, I'm doing this because I want to get things done. And, uh, you know, I want to put in the work to make sure that government works for people um, again and the people who live up here as well. So um, that's what I'm doing, and that's how we're going to run our office when we win. And, you know, uh, we, we were talking to our, a candidate for the 45th Ward in the last hour about uh, bringing some of the, the business owners into our communities. There are, so, you know, often barriers to entry. What is your vision for uh, encouraging business development? Sure. So we got to take a multi, you know, we got to take an all the above approach to that. Um, the 41st Ward particularly, you know, has three major business districts, all of which have been kind of hollowed out by increased competition over the last 10 years or so. Um, and we need to revitalize those areas with, um, a couple of things, uh, particularly making sure that our neighborhoods are more walkable, um, making sure they're more welcoming for people who are shopping because in the post Amazon world, you're not just walking down to the corner store to buy stuff anymore because you can get it with one click without leaving your house. So you have to offer an experience that's enjoyable for shoppers and restaurant patrons. Um, so we need to do some work on the physical environment, but we also need to incentivize people coming into the neighborhoods. Um, and there are several ways that we can do that. And I'm open to all of them um, and making sure that, you know, the businesses, once they do come, have the resources to succeed up here as well. There were a lot of folks uh, during the pandemic who, uh, you know, were there was there was a lot of frustration over reentry into to the schools during the pandemic and and struggles with e-learning. What are some of the ideas that you have, uh, whether it's anticipating something else going on or I know that you are uh, a product of CPS as or public schools as am I. What are, what are your ideas and thoughts on education? Well, so I think a couple of things, um, you know, I think that as far as education goes, um, especially the schools up here on the Northwest side that don't get title nine money, they deal, they have, a, they struggle a lot with keeping the classrooms funded. And I know this seems crazy, but, um, the way the funding formula is for currently created it, you almost have to overfill classrooms to make the budget work. Um, I would like to see the funding formula so that it's no longer the uh oh! Um, oh, I think I think we had a little bit of a, 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 a audio issue. Are you in a hallway? It sounded like you all of a sudden went underwater. Go ahead. Let me see if I can hear you. I can hear you, but you went in and out there for a minute. Oh, see. So oh no! Can you hear me? Oh dear! There you go. Sec. Okay. We're talking to Paul Strubing. Yes, I think so. He's, we were talking to Paul Strubing. He's running for the 41st Ward Aldermanic seat. Tomorrow there will be a forum at St. Monica's, just making sure that we've got good audio here. Go ahead. You were talking about education. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I don't know. My headphones must have uh, died there. Um, in any case, yeah, so a um, couple things about education. One, um, we need to make sure our schools are funded in a way that doesn't require the classrooms to be overcrowded. The current funding formula in schools that don't require Title IX fund funding. Essentially, in order to make the budget work, you have to have the classrooms overcrowded in classroom sizes that are probably too big um, for anybody. Uh, and that leads to increased teacher burnout. 
um, and less than optimal outcomes for students. So I would like to see the formula changed, um, but that's something that, you know, we'll have to work on over a longer period of time. But in the meantime, um, one of the things that I think is really important is that, you know, following the COVID pandemic and learning from home, school from home and all that stuff and digital, um, a lot of people have lost trust in the the Chicago Public Schools can provide great education to kids. But um, one of the things that CPS has been doing that's been really smart is they've been holding <clears throat> the schools harmless for, or, um, for enrollment loss during COVID. I would like to see them continue to do that over time here until they get back up to full enrollment. Because if they cut, if they cut back on, on funding now, it will just lead to more people leaving and, and less optimal outcomes. We need to be encouraging people to come back to CPS, especially in areas of the city where people have other options and they can afford to go elsewhere. Um, because a great, you know, we should be offering great public school services everywhere. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. in this ward as well. And, and we should be trying to keep as many kids in the public school system as possible. I know that you and I are both uh, uh, grew up in families that were union strong. And I, in that neighborhood, in the 41st Ward, I know we have a lot of union members. What do you want to tell folks about uh, unions and, and how they affect our communities, why they're so important? Sure. So um, unions are incredibly important to our communities, and they're incredibly important to me. I wouldn't be here but for the fact that my dad, um, who is now retired but was a union carpenter, um, I know what a union card means to family, my family, meant to my family, and means to families across the city and, and, and the United States. And I will do everything I can to make sure that um, a union is a viable option for everyone. Um, you know, my dad is, uh, he had multiple surgeries, uh, multiple disectomies of his lower back and, and uh, a fusion as well that allowed him to keep working so that he could send my sister and me to college. Um, and he could do that. And we could always trust that we would be okay because he had a union card. He had great union health care. And we had the support of the union um, as a family. And, I, and I'm incredibly proud to be a carpenter's kid. And I will, you know, fight for unions and for secure retirements for all, you know, union members here in the city. And that's one thing where my opponent has kind of fallen down. Um, you know, despite being a, a former firefighter and police officer, Anthony has repeatedly voted against funding municipal pensions and, you know, being a carpenter's kid whose dad has a pension and the son-in-law of a retired battalion chief in the CFD, I view a pension as more than a promise. It's something you've earned. And as, as a member of city council, I will do everything I can to ensure that, you, you know, people who have pensions with the city get every dime of that pension and get what they're entitled to. My opponent has voted against $5 billion plus in pension funding for those guys and girls who work for the city and did so much for our communities. And um, frankly, I just don't think that's acceptable. Um, and I think should be, we should be doing everything we can to make sure they get what they're due. Before I let you go, make your uh, pitch, your final pitch to, uh, the, well, not the final, but I'm, I know you have your event tomorrow at St. Monica's. But for us, uh, let folks know why you're running and what you, uh, what you want them to know. Sure. Um, I am. Well, thanks for having me, Patty. I'm running because I believe that we deserve better in the 41st Ward, and I'm willing to put in the work to make sure that we get the resources necessary to make this ward, uh, to make sure that this ward continues to be a great place to, um, you know, build a life, build a family, grow up, grow old, and um, continues to get better. And that's what I'm running on. I'm running on putting in the work to make sure that we get those things done. And I hope to see everyone tomorrow night at St. Monica's at 7 o'clock to talk about the issues that we're facing more.
Congratulations on your run. I think anyone that steps into the arena of politics uh, should be should be congratulated because uh, it's not an easy thing to, to run in the first place and it takes someone who uh, really believes in their community. If, you, if, if what Paul Strubing says resonates with you and you live in the 41st Ward or you know someone who does, you can visit paulfor41.com to learn more about the campaign. And uh, we can always, every candidate can always use some help at the very end. Uh, it's, it's still time to, to volunteer, uh, contribute, and, uh, and again, be engaged. Thank you so much, Paul. Good luck. Thank you, Patty. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Let's take a break here, and uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about uh, Rick Geezer's campaign, and uh, maybe you want to know about the the music collection he has. I mean, not for nothing. That's also fascinating. Uh, if you if you if you've never heard, uh, I, I can't. I, uh, well, I mean, beyond the Super Bowl shuffle, there are athletes out there who have uh, definitely recorded some uh, interesting music. <laughs> more after this on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal. Don't forget to text Georgia to seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight for your chance to. Win a $25 gift card to one of the wonderful uh, uh, vendors of Monaco Brewing Company's Progressive Brews. More in a moment on Heartland Signal. Mind over matters. Dr. Amy Harris. Nuan, as you know, this show is about challenging you to think differently, to make different choices in your life, to take action, to create positive outcomes in your life. So I want to challenge you to look at your life holistically. To where am I satisfied? What areas uh, need attention? And then go to work, take an action, what you need to do. Mind over matters with Dr. Amy Harris Nuan. Sundays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. While we are uh, coming up to the uh, final days of at least this portion of the mayoral race in Chicago, uh, the mayoral race for Carol Stream is on, the date is April 4th, but early voting starts. Early voting starts tomorrow in DuPage County. One location at this point, you can vote at the DuPage County Fairgrounds uh, throughout the day and on Saturday. And that's Rick Geezer, who's running to be the mayor. We were talking a little bit earlier. Well, we just had to Paul Strubing, who is running to be the alderman of the 41st Ward. And when I grew up there, and it continues to be, uh, 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 the demographics uh, tend to be a little fairer skinned. And uh, it was it was not an easy place to be uh, a child of color. And, you know, I think that when we talked earlier about, you know, wanting people to feel as though they're welcome, talk to us a little bit more about what that entails and what you envision. Well, we need to do we need to do everything we can to make everyone feel feel welcome um we need to do we need to translate some of our our forms and stuff we have to make sure it's in languages that people can understand we have to make sure we have staff members that can speak 
a variety of languages. We have been doing that, but we could do more. Um, we, uh, we, 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 I'd mentioned before about proclamations. I, I like to, I like, I consider the village board meetings the people's meetings, mm-hmm. and I like to I like to proclaim uh, the positives within the community. So one of the positives in our community is our, LG, our LGBTQ um, neighbors. So you know every uh, every June we proclaim June Pride Month, and that's something I worked very hard on and got the board to 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 do uh, to agree to and and we've we've do that um one thing before i was a village trustee i hired um police officers on the the police and fire commission and one thing i noticed and i thought it was odd is that if you want to apply for a job to be a police officer in carroll stream and in most suburban areas i don't know if it's in chicago but in in most suburban areas you have to pay a fee that's weird. Now, when I was looking for broadcast jobs, when I was... Sure. I would send out maybe 10 a day. Right. Can you imagine That would be such an impediment to <laughs> yeah. me, and especially people of limited means who might want to get into that profession. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing uh, our HR director and our various uh, uh, police chiefs for years that we have to get rid of it. And we recently did get rid of it, and we had a, a lot more people apply. Outstanding. One of the other things that struck me while I was talking to Paul was uh, his vision of uh, making sure that we are addressing environmental issues. What are some of the things that you find uh, you know, people in Carroll Stream are concerned about when it comes to climate or you know, recycling and uh, talking about our green future? Well, that, that's something very important to me, and uh, the environment and, and the green initiatives. We in Carroll Stream have done a lot of different things, but I, uh, as mayor, want to do uh, something big. <laughs> I would like us to other, – other suburban communities are doing this. I think we could do it as well. I would love to see a solar farm in, community, in, in Carroll Stream. I think that's something we, we could become leaders within the suburbs, within the region – for generating our own energy. Um, we talked about it the other day, but I, I would love to personally have solar panels on our roof. My wife would love us to have sure. solar. But when we've had the companies come to look, they say our yard is too shady. We're very blessed to have nice, mature trees in our yard. So we, 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 we're, we're unable. But as a community, I think we, can, we could do something big like that and, and, and make, a, make a big bang. Uh, little things that we do, you mentioned recycling. We've done recycling for many years, and I think everybody should do recycling. Um, but you don't think about things like right now, we're going through snow and ice throughout the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, salting of roads, that's an environmental concern. We need to be safe and we need to have, but there are other ways to do it. And we've been doing that. And, and one of the things I've been doing is advocating that we use uh, different different methods. And our public works department and all their wisdom, they have created, you know, some, some, some brines and different things. So we reduce our chlorides that are getting into the, into the streams. And this is, these are some of the things that I would like to continue doing. You know, I I think you've told me before about the origin of the name for Carroll Stream. The folks, uh, I, I was I didn't know, I thought there was a stream there, but it was named after someone named Carroll Stream, correct? Yes, there is a stream that runs through town. Sure. It's called the Klein Creek. <laughs> so 
totally different. It's, yes. Yeah. But the, it was named after a person named Carol Stream. Mm-hmm. Her father, Jay Stream, who I attended his uh, middle school, Jay Stream Middle School, but his uh, his uh, daughter was in an accident while he was coming up with the to develop the community in the late 50s. She was in a severe accident and she was in a coma oh. and he decided to name the community after his daughter. What? As um, as a way to encourage her to come out of the coma. She did come out of the coma. I did get to know Carol a little bit. She passed away a couple of years ago. But she um, she suffered from um, from physical uh, physical ailments because of that accident. But her mind was sharp. She was bright and she was very funny. And tell us a little bit about then. Uh, and you know, I would imagine because of her uh, family, is there uh, you know how do you guys feel about the work that you're doing to be accessible to those who might have physical or intellectual challenges? Well, we're working very hard in, in, in everything we do. Everything from making sure our sidewalks, you know, you, know, you can get up uh, from the street onto the sidewalk in a safe manner mm-hmm. uh, to making sure uh, our events are accessible, uh, our outdoor events. We do the Thursday night concerts and things like that. Make sure that there are uh, accommodations for people with those needs. Excellent. And then the last minute we have left, tell, give your pitch to your community uh, for or for those who might know someone in Carol Stream or they might be drawn to your campaign and want to help out. Give us your pitch. Well, I am Rick Geezer. I'm running for the to be mayor of Carroll Stream. I have lived in Carroll Stream my whole life. I'm one of the Carroll Stream residents. I'm one of you. I live in a house like you. I don't live in a big mansion or anything like that. I I have to pay taxes like everyone else. I'm accessible. You see me at the store. You see me uh, at the library. I am community-minded. I volunteer with you at many organizations, and I'm experienced. I've been on the board for 18 years, elected five terms, and always the top vote getter. then, as we talked about a lot of the things I want to accomplish, I'm all about the environment, diversity, and public safety. And the website is? It's rickgeezer.com. Rickgeezer.com. And then on Facebook, it's Elect Rick Geezer. Yes. Uh, on Facebook. Elect, elect, and uh, how do you spell the geezer? It's G-I-E-S as in Sam, E-R. I want to make sure we get that right. Yes. Thank you so much, Rick. We Thank wish you. you the best of luck. And I uh, would love to have you back on before uh, to do it. before the election day. And early voting starts tomorrow in DuPage County. Go to the fairgrounds. DuPage County Fairgrounds. Outstanding. And have a great night, everybody. Thank you, Lady B. Devil, Devil's Advocates are up next with Mike Crute.